Welcome to Geek Exploration, the podcast where we're all souk school graduates, so don't try any of that Benny Jesseret bullshit on us. I'm John Williams. And I'm Ben Robinson. Grab your still suit, snort a line of spice, and find your copy of A Child's Guide to the Muad'Dib. We're talking Dune. How you doing, Red? I'm doing uh, okay. I'm I've, I've got a cold, so that sucks. But otherwise, splendid. Yeah, you already sound better than you did earlier today when I talked to you on the phone. Yeah, I took a hot ass shower right before mm, I came out here. Ass showers are best when they're hot. Yeah, you don't want a cold ass shower. <laughs> yeah, puckers up. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we're gonna talk about Dune, and we've got. Uh, We've got a guest on. I'm doing well, also. Oh, um, yeah. Well, I know my shower was reasonably hot. But <laughs> sorry, let's let's get on with the uh, with the business. Well, you know, on on Dune, you shower by scrubbing your ass with sand. Yeah, I heard that. I haven't tried that. Um, I don't think I want to. No, no. It's it seems uh, similar to when when people talk about you know banging on the beach and how you just get yeah, sand all no, up in there. I'm like, man, that. I don't want that kind of chafe on me at all. I don't like sand. It's coarse. Yeah. Gets everywhere. Yeah. You get, get, get some sand in your, in your urethra. Ooh. Oh, no, thank you. So anyway, uh, that, that, uh, sexy voice you heard is George from the movie seller. Hi George. Howdy. So I guess you are a fan of Dune. I take it. I am a fan of Dune. I really, really enjoy the, the whole series. I think it's a, a fantastic story. That's very thorough. Um, it's, uh, it's an exciting experience. Yeah, I think you were saying you've read all the books, which is all is a lot more than I thought there were going into this. So um, I've read eight. I have and have read 18 books and I've read the first three an extra time. And then I've I'm in I'm actually in the middle or, or maybe two thirds of the way through Dune again for like the fifth time. Hot damn. I like Dune. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I take it you do. I guess, what is it that grabs you about Dune? Um, I love that Dune is just such a full world. It's not just fight scenes. It's not just some personal drama. It's a whole universe. It's got politics. It's got ecology. It's, it's got you know the, a caste system. It's got romance. It's got vengeance. It's got philosophy mystery and religion. And, yeah, f- a fuckload of philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fun book. It's got a lot that just sucks you in if you're into it. If you're not into it, it's just a shit ton to hit you in the face. Like hard to hard to take in if it's if it's not your jam. It's like I don't know. It's fucking dense. Dune's one of those books that I you know I mean it's it's one of the legendary sci-fi sagas, and it's one that I've been trying to get into for a very long time when we saw the movie was coming out, neither John or I had ever read any of the books and we're like, all right. And I like, I saw the movie, the, the, the movie with like sting and Patrick Stewart back yeah, and Kyle McLaughlin like playing years ago. And remember just thinking, what the fuck? Yeah. 1984, man. Yeah. And just writing that right the fuck off. But, uh, when the movie was coming, we we're like, you know what? Let's fucking do this. And then I heard you on, on, on the movie seller mention something about Dune. And I was like, oh, fuck yeah. Let's have someone on that knows what they're talking about. And then we'll read the book. Because I think I reached out to you in like, shit, like March, maybe? It was a while ago. I think it was just, yeah, it was, 
you know, when they were talking about uh, have, finally having a release date for Dune. Yeah. And you were like, oh, hey, now that we know when it's coming out, we're going to do an episode around that time if you want to join us. And I said, fucking right, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're glad to have you because, as, as we all know, but the listener doesn't, in that humongous span of time, I did not manage to read the book. I started <laughs> it and I was enjoying it, but I'm I'm... I just don't have a shit ton of time. So I am coming into this as the, I made this decision consciously because I was, I was, I was sitting there like stressing out about what the fuck can I even bring to this? Like Ben managed to get through the book and and you're, you're a super fan, George. So what the fuck am I getting? So I was like, okay, I get to be the new guy. You know, like I, I get to be the, the every man who doesn't really know anything and I'm just going to watch the new movie and then, and then we can talk about it. So, uh, that's exactly what I did. I'm, I'm going to be the dummy of the episode. You know, it's not just that it's a dense book. There's so much going on. It's not a book that you can like read part of and then be busy and then come back to like a week and a half, two weeks later and like know what the fuck's going on. Yeah. Like, if you don't like read it, read it, you know, you're just going to get lost. There's just so much. That's one of the problems I had with it over the years was I'd read the first 50 to 100 pages and then I would, you know, something would come up and I wouldn't come back to it. And I'd pick it up again like a year later and I'd read the first 50 to 100 pages again. And after doing that like three or four times, it was harder to get through those pages because I kind of already knew what was happening, but not good enough to skip them. Yeah. And so it became like one of those, you know, it's like when you're playing a video game and you get to a boss that just whoops your ass and you're like, fuck it, I'll come back later. But then every time you come back, you're worse at the game because you haven't mm-hmm. been playing it and you never finished the fucking game. Right, you don't remember your fucking combos? Yeah, exactly. I actually have that almost exact experience with like, you know, I, I don't know, a couple months ago, probably, I, when I started reading the book, I read the first 50 pages. I was super into it. I really enjoyed it. And then, um, you know, I fell off of it and I was like, okay, I got to get back to it. And then I was like, eh, I don't think I'm going to. But... After listening to those audiobooks of uh, Lovecraft, I was like, okay, maybe I can just listen to the to the audiobook. And I started it up. And even in the first few chapters, like our first encounter with Harkonnens, like there was shit that I was listening to. And I was like, I don't remember this at all. So I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to get through this, actually. The audiobook is like 20 hours long. Yeah, I, I, I had it worked out. I was like, okay, if I listen to it three hours a day, I can I can get through it. And then after a couple oh, wow. days, you know, it's like, okay, no, nah, uh, that is not happening. I have never listened to it on tape. Full disclosure, that's how I digested this finally was by doing that because I could do it kind of while I was working. I found it's one of those books that, like, you've got to pay some attention to. Like, you can't uh, drop out for a while. Like, there was a couple times where I would get distracted and I'd have to be like, okay, I need to rewind 15 minutes here because I was not paying attention. Shit, dude, that happened to me when I was watching the movie today. <laughs> <laughs> like, something was happening. I was like, what, what the fuck is happening here? And then, and, then, and then I remembered, like, hearing something as I was, like, you know, getting a snack from the kitchen. And I was like, oh, that must have been what happened at that point. But I had to, like, <laughs> retroactively, you know, figure out why this was happening. I mean, I feel like there's more to it than that. I mean, the, the movie is also intentionally vague and skips over substantial Tons portions of, of, like, actual information of what the fuck's going on. Well, I mean, it was the, uh, the whole poison breath thing. All of a sudden, he's yeah. got like poison breath, and I was like, "What? The, how, the, how the fuck is he doing this? What? What is going on?" And then I was like, "Oh, I did hear something about a fake tooth." Okay, yeah, man, Doctor Yui snuck it in. Um, so what do we? Uh, what do you say? We want to do some first impressions? Yeah, let's do it. I mean, 
I can I can just get mine out of the way real quick because you know I've known of Dune. I've seen you know the the book uh, cover in the in the bookstore for years. Years ago, there was a, there was a time where I thought about picking it up because you know it's always been a name, and I know you know of the 1984 movie and just how, how it's legendarily not great. But my first real exposure to Dune was picking up the book and reading that first 50 pages. So it's either that or watching the movie today. So it is, <laughs> it is very recent, you know, for any substantial bit of Dune, my first impression is the movie that I watched this morning. And, uh, and we'll get to we, that. Yeah, we'll get into, uh, into it and, and we'll, we'll get to talk about feelings, but you know, I, I, this is probably, I don't know, either this or Lovecraft is, is, or, you know, those are probably the two topics we've done over the last three years that I have the least amount of exposure to. Well, we're just shoving new shit down your throat. <laughs> Can't we do another episode on Superman? Jeez. We'll get Dan on for that one. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I guess my, my first impression of Dune was... I was at my house and I had a friend of ours from high school uh, drop by my house uh, out of nowhere with a mackerel. Oh, I was there that day. Yeah. Yeah. And he was, <laughs> and he was just like, ah, can we cook this mackerel? And, and I was like, uh, sure. <laughs> and so he cooked a mackerel up and we ate it. And uh, he was telling the whole time he was talking about Dune and how much he loved Dune. And I was like, yeah, I think I've heard of that, but I've never read it. And he went to his car and got his copy of Dune and uh, lent it to me. And uh, I lent him like a collected short stories of Ray Bradbury because he had not read any Ray Bradbury. Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, that's sad. And uh, that was the last time I ever saw him. So I still have his copy of Dune right here. Yeah, I see <laughs> and, it in your hand. And he still has my copy of Ray. So I, so I don't even remember which short story collection it was, but uh, it, was, it was a fair trade, I guess. Like I said, I went to go and try and read it and I got 50 to 100 pages in and then... Uh, I've always had a hard time getting through books because uh, the only time I have to read them, especially now, is like right before bed. And then I, I fall asleep while I'm reading it. You know, I get maybe five or six pages at a time. And this book is, uh, let's see, this copy I have right here is almost 600 pages long. So yeah, that's about how long mine was also. And it, it would take me a lot of time. It's tough, man. Like when we were when we were younger, like even in our, you know, in our 20s, you could just like... Well, we also had a lot less going on back then, oh, yeah. but you, you could just take the entire afternoon and just knock out a huge chunk of a book. I'm not, I'm not a particularly fast reader, but you know, I, I enjoy sitting on the toilet and reading for a while, but you know, same as you, I get, I get tired even on the toilet, a 600 page book. Like that's nothing to, to what's the word at sneeze bulk? at. Yeah. Bulk at <laughs> it'd take me a while. Uh, what about you, George? Um, well, I, had not had the experience that it was just a name that was around that I wanted to get to. I had never heard of it um, until I stumbled upon it. Uh, talking about Lovecraft, I had just finished a collected works of Lovecraft and uh, I was dry. I was like, I don't want to go back to reading this other book I was reading right now. I'm not ready for it. What else do I want? And so I literally just Googled like best sci-fi books and Dune was number one. It was like, this is the highest selling sci-fi book ever. And I was like, well, I don't know what the fuck that is. Um, Better read it, though. So I right, well, no, so I just moved on to something else. I was like, I don't know what the fuck that is. <laughs> but I had a copy of uh, Arabian Nights, and I had never gone through that. So I, I read all those short stories. But I, So I, I worked at a grocery store at the time, and they had this like 
book donation bin and they'd sell them for a buck for charity. And Dune was in it. And so I was working late night and I was just like, I was super bored. So I was just flipping through the books. And I was like, oh, hey, I heard of this one. And I bought it because it was just a buck. And I was sucked in immediately. Plowed through that. And I read those 18 books. I don't know, maybe like eight months. Oh, shit. <laughs> I read a lot. They were all out by then, huh? Yes. Yeah. There's there's a few that have come out since then that I haven't read yet. Yeah, like the first, only the first three are by Frank Herbert, right? And then the rest are by his. Some are by his. No, the first. Yeah, he did six. six? Okay. Yeah, died before the seventh one came out. I was doing a little, just you know, watching some YouTube videos for some light research, and this one I was watching said that including like a collection of short stories that that uh, Brian Herbert and Kevin Anderson put out, Kevin J. Anderson, that there was forty four Dune books. Oh fuck! Total. Wow. Like, to date, at least. Well, good. We're all unprepared then. I I had no idea it was that substantial. But from what the dude was saying in this video, at least, it seems like you're better off not reading 44 books that, you know, that include, I guess it would be 38 of them by uh, by Brian Herbert and uh, Kevin J. Anderson. Holy crap. (laughs) And I thought I had read, like, all of them. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you thought you were some kind of fucking expert. Man, I don't even feel like a fan anymore. I feel like I'm just a casual, like, I just window shopped Dune. <laughs> you may as well have just watched Dune this morning. I know, it's like same level, man. <laughs> that is a running theme on this show. We pick a topic and then we look at it and we're like, oh, fuck, there's so much more yeah. to this than we're ever going to be able to consume. I thought this was easy. <laughs> but we were talking uh, talking before we started recording that this is mainly going to focus on the first book because that's the one that where the movies and the series and, and a lot of the comic books are all based on, you know, just different interpretations of the first book, Dune. Not to mention we have no exposure to it outside of George. So <laughs> we, we, we'd be, we'd be floundering quite a bit. And there is a hot new know. movie. To I don't talk know about. how much I'm going to add. You guys keep saying that without me, you'd flounder, but you've listened to my show. Like, <laughs> I don't really... I just show up, man. Well, then you've already succeeded. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> it's a win. It's a win. I'll take it. Not all wins are created equal, man. The Harkonnens thought they won. No, they just, they just won for four years and they were fucked. Yeah. They won the battle, not the war. So is this, are you guys talking about the first book? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cause to be honest in, in, <laughs> in like my, my, uh, some of the stuff that I was researching that that's just talking about like the timeline of the books, because the first six books, like, correct me if I'm wrong, they span like 5,000 years, right? Uh, yes. Okay. It doesn't span that much. It starts right around Paul's timeline mm-hmm. and goes through Paul's son. And then, then it jumps like 3,500 years into the future. So it's not like it spans that whole period. It goes from one spot to the next spot. That's Leto, Leto the seconds. They're just like, oh, he's 3,500 years old. And here yes. we are. Okay. But I, I had, I have no idea where the first book actually ends. Like, I don't, I don't know because I, I guess we can just throw it out there real quick for, for anyone who, well, I guess if you haven't watched the movie spoilers, but boy, it really is a part one. Yeah. Like it, it, the movie. Yeah, oh, it, absolutely. It does not. Like, like I, I know I, I'd read that uh, Denis Villeneuve didn't want to put part one in case the second one wasn't going to get made, but he really should have because it is an unfinished story. Oh yeah, very much. Like it doesn't stand on yeah. its own at all, and that really bummed me out. 
I mean, I'd, I'd heard that he was planning on doing two before I saw the movie. So I, I went into it kind of expecting that, like, while I was watching the movie, I was kind of guessing, where is he going to end it? When they announced Dune, they announced it as part one. But Dune was supposed to be like this big blockbuster movie release. And then COVID fucking hit. And yeah. they were like, oh, well, we got to push the release back. And then it was like, oh, well, now we're going to release on like HBO and not in theaters. Yeah, we're going to the do day and date. Like, Man, Ooh. you just fucking murdered us like Chris knife in the back. <laughs> <laughs> and then they were like, okay, well we'll just release it like everywhere. So it just kept getting moved. And so they, they didn't green light part two until like this week. Yeah. I'm glad they, if it stood where this was the only one, I was going to be really bummed. And Denis Villeneuve was going to be really bummed too. Cause, uh, boy, his, <laughs> his career might, might've been, uh, might've been on the, on the downward slope if this one super tanked, but I, I think it performed well. I mean, it, it performed well enough for them to green light the sequel. Yeah. It's hard to tell these days what performing well yeah. is. So do we want to get into like the story of the book and kind of our, our thoughts on it? Yes. Sure. I'm in for the first 50 pages. <laughs> a back of the, uh, back of the book kind of synopsis. It follows Paul Atreides, uh, who is a, uh, a young man with terrible purpose. Basically, he, he he's having to move from his current... He's the Duke's son, and he's having to move from their current uh, rather nice-sounding planet of Caladan to a uh, nasty desert hellscape of Arrakis because the Emperor told him to. And uh, they all know it's a trap, and they go anyway, and most everyone gets killed, and uh, he falls in with the locals and uh with the local street toughs yeah <laughs> and really sticks it to the man yeah as a terrible synopsis but i think it's it's largely accurate that's uh that was a great synopsis <laughs> i'm gonna speak to the beginning of the book because that that's what i can speak to i i actually really loved that it opened up with something as uh as intense as you know the um oh shit why am i forgetting the gamjabar yeah the gamjabar like where he has to stick his hand in this thing that just has increasing like waves of pain in it. And he's got like a poison needle to his neck by the, by the Reverend mother. Like it, it just, it throws you right in. And for me, that's, that's the kind of thing I need to get me into a book because it's exciting. You know, all of a sudden you're like, Oh, I mean, you know, I'd read the back of the book too. So I knew that, you know, you, you know, he's not going to die, but <laughs> even the way it was written was, was really descriptive. That, that was, uh, that was something that was interesting for them to translate into the movie because, you know, the, in the book, it's talking about Paul thinking that he's going to pull out a like hand. A that is yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, that's just burnt to a crisp because that's what it feels like. They did an okay job. I think that was probably one of the more, I mean, I well, probably imagine we'll talk more about the movie later, but that was yeah. one of the more faithful scenes in the movie. Like it was, that was pretty straight from the book. Yeah. It was close enough. One of the things that struck me about, this book that I didn't expect going into it was how much it kind of tells you about the future. Like it is. It, so it's got like the kind of that omnipotent third person narrator where like, you're not following, like you're following Paul largely, but it's not from Paul's point of view. There's no inner monologue. Yeah. You as the reader kind of know way more than any one of the individual characters knows. But one of the things that kind of caught me off guard with the book is that even the characters seem to know a lot like the idea of uh of fate and the readers the readers and the characters kind of knowing what's coming is all throughout the book oh yeah and i mean and it has like those little uh like journal entries from like the you know a child's guide to the muad'dib or you know all the stuff by princess irulan 
where it's talking about, you know, the, the emperor and this and that. And like, they're giving you like exposition and backstory on the world, but also giving you clues as to what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if you read the back of the book, like I, I remember on, on one of the books I was looking at, you know, it's like, it says something about Paul going into the desert and emerging as the, the Muad'Dib or something. And, and, and I was like, Oh, okay. So I, I know that name or at least I, well, I don't know if it, I, I don't think that's his actual name when he comes out of that. Like, I think he's got a different title, but you know, when you're here, he's got when, a lot of titles. Yeah. When you're, when, well, when you're reading like the book of the Muad'Dib, you're like, Oh, okay. So that, this person they're talking about is this person is that I'm reading about yeah, right here. Yeah. They're talking about Paul. So apparently something goes very well for him. Yeah. Yeah. But like, like even at the beginning of the book, like when they're all moving there, like he has his visions, Jessica and, and the Reverend mother are talking and they're basically like, yeah, y'all are fucked. Like, yeah. like I saw it, like you guys are going to get fucked when you go there. Yeah. Like your Duke Leto is going to die. Yep. Like yeah. he's dead. And even Duke Leto's like, yeah, yeah, they're probably going to attack us. Like this is clearly a trap. Like everybody knows they're walking into a trap and, uh, they just do it anyway. It's what you yeah, do. You got to do, man. The Atreides don't turn away when they're called. Fuck no. No, they walk right into that shit and get killed. They, a lot of them get killed. <laughs> yeah, at least from, from what I could tell, the vast majority of them get killed. But then it cuts like right over to the Harkonnens who are like explaining their plan on how they're going to fuck these guys up. And it's an interesting perspective where you know so much. Like there's not a huge amount of mystery no one gives you the Shyamalan twist. Yeah, throughout the book where you're like, oh my God, what's going to happen? Uh, like there's there's tense moments and suspense still in there. But by and large, like the, the grand scheme of things is is laid a little bit bare, which is a really interesting way to approach fiction. But not in a way that you're like, oh man, I already knew that was going to happen. That's yeah. lame. It's, it's still inviting. Like, you know what's going to happen, but you, it makes you to be, it makes you excited to find out like how they do it. Yeah, and I, and, and I like how, uh, you know, especially as the book goes on and Paul gets better at seeing into the future and stuff, they how they start describing it as he's seeing, like, many possible futures. So he's seeing stuff. Like, he can see the future, but it he can see many different paths to different futures. Well, there's, a, there's also a fantastic analogy in the book when he explains that it's a lot like uh, looking over the dunes. And so you can see one face of the dune but you can't see the other face of the dune and then you can see another you know dune rising past that yeah uh they also compare it to like a like a kerchief blowing in the wind um with like the ripples and stuff and so like there's shadowed parts that he can't see so he can see all these possibles he can't tell what's going to happen if something changes it because he can't see on those other sides so i don't know i think it's it's better than just being able to know what's going to fucking happen because in the first book, he really rails against what's going to happen. He sees that jihad coming. Yeah. And he's like, I don't want that to fucking happen. And so he keeps trying to fuck with the future that he sees so that he changes it. Yeah, tries to find the path to avoid it. And, and it doesn't seem to succeed necessarily. No, nah, man. Le at least by the end of the first book. Like, it's like, well, you know, I, I don't know if he avoided that. <laughs> but... It's, you know, because it's kind of a universe where there are people that can see visions of the future, like the, you know, the Reverend Mother and stuff can, you know, tell when people are bullshitting her. Like she's known as the, she's the Emperor's truth seeker. It's like she can tell when people are lying and she can, I, I couldn't, I wouldn't call it read minds so much as just has a very fine perception. Yeah, very hyper attention and uh, observance. Yeah, in the beginning when they were talking about like the, the, the Benny Gesserit. 
how it's like they can they can they have like super inference power you know that like, yeah. like they can just they can tell by looking at somebody like what their feelings are you know without like being able to just be like oh you're thinking about you know boobs and a ham sandwich right now man you can't even see me my camera's off and you know what the fuck i'm thinking this is ridiculous <laughs> like you've had you've had too much spice over there <laughs> yeah so i guess that's that's worth pointing out that um that a big crux of the story has to do with arrakis which is dune the the spice world if you uh if you will having nothing to do with the, uh, with the spice girls but you know spice is a hallucinogen and it also makes space tra- or deep space travel possible like it it extends people's lives so it, it seems to just be pretty fucking kick ass although yeah. I, I i heard if you're uh if once you ingest it if you stop you'll die yes yeah, it, yeah it's like addictive like it, you become dependent on it and uh yeah it's not like it's not like one time it's not like you you know you get a little fentanyl in your spice and you're fucked like you got <laughs> to build up an addiction to it and then it's not like it just kills you if you don't have it like every 12 hours it's just it it will slowly poison you something that you probably didn't get to because it's not in the movie fuck okay so how much am i supposed to talk about spoil it all yeah without spoil. i can spoil yeah yeah because i mean i i think like, I was thinking that just a second ago. I was like, maybe we should retroactively put a spoiler warning in there for people who, like myself, have only watched the first movie. Because this will spoil the second movie for them. Me, personally, I don't care. I'm, I'm here to do a show. Um, I, I, I don't mind knowing what's coming. Because I, I know, I know some, some basic broad strokes. I know what happens in the future. I mean, I spoiled it for myself. Uh, you know, just doing listening to synopses of the the further books so i'm not worried about it um if anybody is worried about the second movie getting spoiled get out of here yeah yeah. we are not just talking about the movie so yeah go ahead go ahead george all right so i forgot what we were specifically talking about we're talking about spice spice right okay so the movie ends there's that there's that battle right where the harkonnens come with the sardaukar and they fuck up the atreides well the rest of the first book is Paul has joined the the Fremen and he's trained them and they've become his army, but he's also become a Fremen. Uh, him and Chani get together. They even have a kid. He's become like the leader and uh, all the Fremen, they have this dream of a paradise world. Like They've got to get all this water. They know exactly how much they need to get because of Liet Kynes, the planetologist. Um, and so Paul helps them with that. And then eventually they strike back at the Harkonnens and, uh, like the emperor shows up and everything. And there's this huge fucking battle and they ride in on the worms. Yeah. Um, cause they ride the fucking worms. Yeah. Which is awesome. I, I was surprised right. they put that shot. At, I mean, I guess they kind of had to, to do something, but they put that shot kind of in the end of the in end of the movie there because that's that's way before you find out that that's a thing in the book i yeah i think they 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 were just planting seeds for the second one maybe like hey hey come back like he's got this vision of a big war that he's fighting in and he's got blue eyes hey look there's worm riders like never mind that we're gonna end this with a uh with uh never mind we'll talk about it later (laughs) (laughs) right anticlimactically let's call it continues. 
and they totally fuck up the Harkonnens, and uh, he ends up making a deal with the Emperor, so he's gonna marry Princess Irulan, and uh, and so like that's why Princess Irulan's got all these writings throughout the book, is because she's she's the one that wrote everything about Paul. She was fucking married to him, so that's how that book ends. Is there's a huge fucking battle? They beat the Harkonnens, and uh he's gonna marry the princess and paul is is essentially now the emperor is kind of where like he's basically said like hey emperor you can like fuck right off to uh uh what's a solucius secundus secundus yeah so like you can just fuck off there and hang out there i'm gonna just i'm gonna take over this whole emperoring thing um and that's the imperial prison planet he's like you're fucking banished oh shit i'm the boss now yeah. He's like, kick rocks, motherfucker. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He pulls some pretty boss moves at the end there. <laughs> I mean, no shit. <laughs> I, I'm, I wouldn't be shocked after what he'd been through. You know, like his his people were destroyed. Yeah. Like, like that, that was that was some pretty vicious shit that the, uh, that the Emperor and the Harkonnens pulled on them. Yes. There are a lot of um, overlapping stories that you don't truly see until you've read more of the books but they add so much to the story. So the, the Fremen, they are just so oppressed. I mean, they live in this terrible place in the desert and they're hunted down and killed by the Harkonnens. So they are, you know, very savage in one sense, but very peaceful and cultured in their own way. And so they're very misunderstood. But the reason they are the way they are is because generations and generations before, they were uh, hunted and raided away from their paradise planet. And they had to leave their paradise planet and were basically chased around the galaxy until they crashed on Arrakis and had to just fucking survive because they crashed their ship and had to survive in the desert and they figured it out. Yeah, there's there's some allusions to that in the first book when the um like when Jessica becomes the uh the reverend mother for the for the Fremen. Spoilers. Right, right. And she gets all the she gets all the memories. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, and they talk about like Poratrin and the other planets and whatnot. Yeah, and and, and then when she, and then when she ends up confronting the uh you know, uh Reverend Mother, was it Gaius Helen Mahayam or Mahayam. something? And she, and she's like, this is bullshit. Can't or no, it's not even her that confronts her. It's um, Aaliyah. It's Aaliyah. Yeah. And she's like, she, <laughs> and she's like, this ain't Aaliyah of the knife, man. And she's like, this uh, this thing's an abomination. And like, she's getting flooded with like all the other Reverend Mothers, and they're talking about how like, fuck you, man. Like you're some poser ass chump coming in here. Like we were chased around and fucked up, and like you're on the wrong path. So this is all in the first book too. Yeah. Oh man, because in the timeline video I was watching, like. I assumed that this was in like book three or something. Wow. It's a big book. Later on, there's a whole book that tells you the whole story of how the Fremen get there. Um, So yeah, later on in the story, you do get way more of that, but it's, it's alluded to in many ways in the book, but I love that uh, Paul leaves a paradise planet because he has to, because a big boss has said, you know, move on. Now you're stuck on this desert planet and there's no way out. And he just has to survive. So there's a, a huge parallel between the Fremen and Paul in that sense. And then he joins them. And so like that's there in the first book. But I don't think you really think about it until it's fully explained about the Fremen's original planet. It's some of that shit like we like we want to do in our comic book where it's like, 
we want to plant seeds that we're not going to, you know, grow right now, but we want it to be, you know, like in issue eight or something, when something happens, they go, Oh fuck, that was from the first issue or something like that. Like, you know, it's, it's fun to have those types of things that you can flesh out. And clearly it works at least one time on, on George, you know, people can dig that shit. Yeah, man, it's worked on me. I mean, there's, you know, just different reviews. So you talked about how, you know, you start off with the Atreides on, on Kaladin and then it shifts you over to the Harkonnens and you're learning about their, their plan. And then you are, okay, so you, you follow Paul. Yes, Paulo's your, Paul's your character. But like you were saying, you're not in Paul's head. You're watching the whole story. It's like a fucking soap opera that goes from like place to place and you're now with a different crew and you're just watching them fully. Yeah. So like when you're with the Harkonnens, you're fully with the Harkonnens and you're getting, you know, all of their ideas and stuff. Those lines cross later in the book as well, because after the Harkonnens beat the Atreides, they take Hawat. So that was one of the notes I had when I read this book that uh, I was confused by Hawat's arc, I guess you could call it. So they end up capturing him and uh, I mean, like he seemed like he was super loyal and, a, and like a, a, a very honorable man. He had served what, like three different dukes, right? Like he'd been in the Atreides uh, yeah. service for like a long time. Yes. And then he ends up serving Baron Harkonnen. Now he seems to be like, fuck this guy. I'm going to fuck him up eventually. But it just seems so. He's really what they do odd. is they they put a poison in him. Yeah, but he doesn't. And they know have it. to give him the antidote in his meals, or he dies. Yeah, but Hawat doesn't know that, does he? He does. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, that's that that's how they they have him leveraged. Is he doesn't know he's poisoned right away, but then they okay. So the whole thing about um, who the traitor is. In the movie, it's barely touched upon. Okay, it's yeah. not a big deal. But in the book, it's a huge issue because you know there's going to be a traitor right from the beginning of the fucking book. Yeah, I even knew that. I was waiting yeah. I was I was waiting to see how they were going to explain that because so much of it was like in the beginning of the book, it was so internal, like from from the doctor's perspective, like him talking about, "Oh, well, I have to do this because of blah blah blah." And you know, like they they serve it right up to you in the uh in the begin in beginning of the book. Right, so you know there's a traitor, you know it's him, you follow how and why he's going to do it. In the movie, they just throw it at you. Well, and then um, there, there's the whole thing about Hawat believes it was Jessica. Exactly, and that's huge in the book. I'm kind of curious in the movie, because the way they treated Hawat in this one, or in, in Denny Villeneuve's movie, I'm wondering if they're just going to dispose of his entire subplot entirely. Because they didn't really do as much Harkonnen background stuff. Uh, they completely left out Fade Rotha. Yeah, entirely. So I'm wondering if they, uh, if they're, though, I, I think at the point that the movie got, I don't know if Fade Rotha has even been introduced in the book yet. Oh, absolutely. He has. Cause I think his, thank intri- you very much. I think his, his <laughs> well, I, I had to go back. I had to go back and look in the book. I think, let's see. Uh, oh, maybe I think, I think his, his introduction came. I, the timeline got confused for me because his introduction is when it's like his birthday party or whatever, and he goes out and kills that the the like the he goes to like the gladiatorial. No, he's pit around thing, right? before that too. Okay, just to jump in here, like I don't know for certain, but I feel like I know that name. And as far as I'd gotten in the book, there was only that second chapter of the book that that had the Harkonnens, and was he not in that chapter? I don't. Th- he, like, no, he's there because there there were three he's dudes. There. 
Really? I thought he was just yeah. mentioned. I thought like I thought uh, the Baron was just like, yeah, it made allusions to like, all right, Raban's gonna fuck this up. So uh, I'm I'm really putting all my chips on on Fade Rautha, but uh, I didn't. Okay, well then I thought and- I thought he was back on uh, Gaiety Prime at that point, but maybe, I don't know. I got a bit Pretty confused sure with him, timelines man. in in there because because in that because t- so it cuts from I think it goes from them being in the cave right after. Right after Paul kills, what's his face in that little duel? Jameis. Jameis, yeah, that was in the movie, except it happened in a cave in the book. It goes from yep. like right after Jameis's like death ceremony thing. That then it jumps to Fade Routh's birthday, where he's where he's fighting the guy that was supposed to be drugged, but he isn't, and it's got like all the political intrigue with the Baron and uh, the other dude, like Count the, Fenring. Yes, Fenring. That was kind of confusing because in that section is a bunch of times it says something like several years and two years, like it's been several years or two years since, you know, they, they took Arrakis back. And, uh, those are two very different things, first of all, but then it jumps back in Paul's storyline to like them in the cave going to the, uh, the, like the Fremen city for the first time. And it's like, well, this is only like days after that happened. So it, the, I think the timeline jumps around a little. It, it, it confused me. I was a bit lost. Like I understood everything that was going on, but I didn't know where it fell in time. Ah, yes. Okay, so he beats uh, Jameis at Cave of Birds, and uh, that is before Fade Rotha's uh, birthday party. Uh, Fade Rotha's birthday party is shortly after the attack, but not as immediate as Paul killing Jameis. Yeah, okay, so there, it did kind of jump forward and back in time there. Yeah, a little bit when they're when they're going from from story to story. Um, so Paul ends up, you know, joining the Fremen there, and you sort of lose the Harkonnen timeline for a while. In the end of the like in the in the second half or or last third of the book, you lose the Harkonnens for a while. And you just sort of like check in and see what's happening between them and Hawat. But it's really mostly just following like Paul and Jessica and the Fremen for, for a while. Well, yeah, and I think it jumps forward like five years to where they're like doing raids and when it, when it starts. Uh, that's two years. Two years that he's been a Fremen before he even rides a sandworm. Yeah, okay. And then it's, um, they say that he won't be really ready to attack for another two years after that. Okay, yeah. In my mind, I had the final, like, assault thing, like, five years from when he got, his dad got killed. Yeah, four or five, because Aaliyah's still a toddler when she offs the Baron. By the way, I am super excited to see what they do with Aaliyah. She is by far my favorite character in this whole book. She is a fucking badass, man. She's basically a four-year-old with, like, she, she was born as a baby with, like, full adult intellect. And so she's like talking yeah. as a baby and like, everyone's like, well, this is fucking weird. We don't like it. Huh. Cause she's like walking around. She's like, yo, what's up guys? Hey, how you doing? Man, there's just so much that they didn't put in the fucking movie. First of all, I got to say it. I probably have an unpopular opinion. I don't like the movie. Yeah. Are we, are we shifting to movie talk? I don't know. Like, cause it's, it's, yeah, it's the it. same fucking story. So it's kind of hard yeah. not yeah. to. Yeah. Like, like I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm like, well, I, I think I can add to the conversation, but for all I know, you know, what I know to be fact about Dune could have been something that was changed from the book. So I was like, okay, if we're, if we're doing book talk, I, 
I really can't weigh in after the first 50 pages. Yeah. I mean, the only other thing I have to say on Aaliyah, and it relates to the movie, is when they get her into the movie, I heard something about them maybe aging her up so that she, instead of being four at the end of the, the story, she's like 13. Uh, that would be a huge disappointment because I would absolutely love a four-year-old walking into a room, just fucking big balls attitude talking to the emperor like he's some fucking chump and then uh killing people yeah (laughs) absolutely that sounds way cooler than a 13 year old doing it yeah well and then after that they're like where is she and uh and they say that she's out killing wounded harkonnen like the children are supposed to like they talk about how the fremen children are just as dangerous they are trained by as kids they go out and they clean up the the corpses yeah they, yeah, they, they kill all know, the wounded everyone that's weak and then and take their reclaim water in the water <laughs> yeah Damn. She, she's a bad little bitch man I, and i i hope they do her justice but yeah let's uh let's get into the movie because it walks a fine line and uh that makes it tough yeah i mean i mean going going to what you said george about unpopular opinion you know i i i know opinion has been mixed on this on this uh this flick but one person that I spoke to, I think the only person I really spoke to about how they felt about the movie um, was uh, the owner and proprietor of uh, of Empire's Comics Vault uh, in Sacramento and longtime Dune fan, like similar to you, just like read the books, loves, loves the property, you know, was disappointed in 84. He he actually liked the uh, the sci-fi series, which I'm sure we'll touch on as well. But he he also did not like the movie, really. You know, like it, it just... I, I didn't go into detail because I hadn't watched it yet, but you know, it, 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 he implied that it just sort of let him down. Like he just, he, yeah. wa- he wanted more from it. I, okay. So I 100% agree with that. And, and so I've watched the movie three times now. Damn. Um, I watched it once with my wife who has only just heard me ramble on about it occasionally. She doesn't give a fuck. She doesn't know the story, but she watched it with me once. And, and she enjoyed the movie. I wanted to make sure that I was giving it a, a fair enough chance by seeing her reaction and opinion to it, mm-hmm. um, you know, because I knew I was going in biased. So she liked the movie. And I have to say, the movie is beautiful. They yes. do a, a really wonderful job creating the world of Dune. Um, looks fantastic. Looks authentic. Uh, I think Christopher Nolan said it was like his the the best movie he's seen that marries real photography with with uh CGI. I mean that's yeah, a I can huge see that. fucking compliment. Yeah. yeah. And it's true. It's it's a beautiful beautiful movie, but I feel like they miscast several people. I Ooh. feel like some of the acting was atrociously bad compared to the other acting that was really good. Um and I really hate that they spent 25 minutes in the beginning of the fucking movie adding shit that didn't need to be there. And then taking a whole bunch of time, you know, having these long views of the Thopters fly. I get it. I've seen it. It's a fucking dragonfly shaped plane. Like, fucking move on and give me actual information about what the fuck's going on. (laughs) When I was thinking about it, the description that I came up with that I think encapsulates. Oh, is this your one word review early? No, where I landed on it was, uh, it is a beautifully shot, very pretty Cliff's Notes version of the first half of the dune book yep but it didn't have to be that there were so many long drawn out oh the silhouette of people walking and how many thopter shots do you need and why do you have to add all that shit in the beginning yeah well if they had used that budget in that time wisely 
it would have been a fucking great movie. So they had to walk a really fine line here. And I think they they went right down the middle of the road. And maybe that's not the best place to be because they had to. Uh, one thing I do appreciate about this movie, though, is you could tell they were trying to make it for fans. Like, because if you're not if you haven't read the book, you're going to not get a lot of what's going on. And a lot of the things that they just do in real brief, quick references have huge meaning in the book. And mm-hmm. if you if you haven't read it, you're not going to pick up on those. So they, they were trying to make it so that people who've read the book and who are fans of the book will enjoy this movie or understand this movie possibly more than people that hadn't. Yeah, and maybe they maybe they don't want to omit things entirely so as to alienate fans of the book. Yeah, because what fans of the book want is it, and you know an accurate adaptation of this movie is going to be thirty five hours long. It's going to be it, like to do it properly. You need to do like a Game of Thrones esque epic. I agree. That would be the best way to do it. To really cover it all. So if you're going to cram it into a movie, you're going to have to cut shit out. Because, I mean, while I was watching this, what my brain was thinking is, holy shit, they are blazing through this. They are just lightning speed through here. And then you read a lot of reviews or comments on the Internet about people who aren't, you know, who've never read the book. And they talk about how the pace is incredibly slow (laughs) and and how, how drawn out everything is and how slow everything is. Compared to the story in the book, this is... Just sprinting past everything. Well, right. It was sprinting because it was going from, you know, page 50 to page 200. But the shots, the actual filming felt slow because they spent so much fucking time looking at one thing. Like you could have panned across the thopters and then been done. I did have a moment when I was watching it where I was like, man, Zack Snyder gets so much shit for slow motion. But like, there's a lot of it in this movie. Like, There's a lot. Yeah. And, and well, and, the, but the one thing I'm glad they didn't do was, uh, straight up standard Hollywood bullshit, you know, like they let it, they let it breathe and let it kind of tell the story that isn't necessarily super fast and isn't, I mean, the, the Dune, the story in the book is not super action packed. Like no. the big battle in the movie when the Harkonnens take out Eric here. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember. Arakeen. Yeah. When they take out Arakeen is, almost glossed over in the book. Like it tells you that it happened. It, it, it details what happened to Duke Leto and it details what happened to Paul and Jessica, but it does not linger on the actual battle at all. Oh, and everyone else got it was like, fucked. yeah, there's some shit. People got fucked up. They're all dead. Boy, I was not expecting that. I, I, I wasn't expecting the entire house of Trades to, to get wiped out like that. That was, oh, yeah. that was pretty ballsy. I thought it was going to be more like a long game by the Harkonnens, you know, but yeah, oh no, no, no. I was like, no, we're just, we're like, just, we're just going to go in and fuck yeah, them up real week quick. Week two there, we're fucking you up. Yeah. But that, I mean, that, that's glossed over. There's the, the scene with Jamis that's got some action to it. Uh, oh, the little fight in the, like the environmental place. Oh yeah, yeah. Where, where, Duncan, where Duncan dies. dies. Yeah. But I mean, the action is all secondary throughout the book. Like it's, it's very rarely is, is it action forward. Even the fight with Jameis is slow and plodding and emotional and very and much more about like the the personal impact of having to fight someone to the death versus the action of fighting. Well, you know, and in saying that, like, I feel like even though it was kind of brief and anticlimactic, I feel like they did show that, you know, like, like they with with all the times that that Paul had him dead to rights and he was telling him to yield and they're just like, he's not going to do it. 
and then having to kill him and you know you you can see the anguish that he's going through and you know everybody like all the all the fremen like putting their hand on his shoulder and stuff like i i thought that was a that was a cool slow motion uh scene <laughs> you know, like it, it did have emotional impact to me yeah i would agree that it did it's just not nearly as much as what was actually in the book yeah yeah and like well, yeah they had the whole funeral ceremony in the book yeah, yeah. The movie they just so carried him away that earlier about how it went right down the middle is yes they definitely put some things in for the fans of the book they definitely put in a lot of details that they wouldn't have to for a hollywood movie but they also had to make it accessible to other people because you know you have to right You're putting that much money into a movie you want as many people to watch it as possible yeah and that's that's my problem with it is that i feel like it would have been a better movie if they had made it more for the fans, I feel like the people that weren't fans would have understood more. Yeah. Because they made it so vague in so many places to make it, you know, easy to jump into. I feel like it left it feeling a little flat. Yeah. And I mean, just playing devil's advocate, like I'm, I'm not surprised. And I think from like a Hollywood investor point of view, that probably was, you know, like the, the smart thing for them to do at least, because even though, adding more of the details of the, from the book in there would you know give people a, a more immersive experience and and have them understand it more like people who read the book is uh, did like that that doesn't exactly just translate into money you know if 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 they're like hey we we can do this and we can change this about the book and paste this differently because people don't actually need to know this to enjoy it as a film then uh yeah, like I said, I'm not shocked. I'm uh, and just playing devil's advocate, not not saying it's right, but I don't I don't know how black and white wrong it was either. Yeah, I, and and I think I mean I think it's a good sign that it was uh, like I'm glad it was able to be produced the way it was because it, you know it didn't have a studio coming in there and be like all right you need to pump up the action like we, you need an explosion every four minutes yeah. I'm Michael Bay and I'm executive producing this movie this needs to be you know like a Marvel movie or like a Fast and Furious movie like it just needs to be all action all the time it needs to you know they were able to avoid that I mean even Star Trek hasn't been able to avoid that Star Trek's fallen deep into that pit of being good for once (laughs) (laughs) of uh, of being about action instead of what it was actually about. And I think they they didn't really betray the narrative at all. They just glossed over most of it. But I I do agree with you that, that, you know, it, it would be nice as a fan of a, of a, of a property for them to really treat it with respect and give it all the time it deserves. Like, like you guys said earlier, like if, if it was like a, a Netflix or HBO, you know, yeah. mini or maxi series, like a 12 episode series, then it'd be pretty fucking rad. You're never going to get that out of a movie though. Like you've, no. you're going to have to make compromises with the movie on something this big and epic. Like Jurassic Park even would be, would be a badass mini series. Let that shit breathe. Yeah. Kill John Hammond. <laughs> <laughs> like the only things that I noticed that, that really struck me as, as, as odd changes from the book. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that was just like, they didn't, they ignored it or they glossed over it really briefly. Like, I mean, they barely mentioned spice in the fucking movie for Christ's sake. Like it was kind of there, but for how important that is to the story, it was very low level. Yeah. I probably talked just as much about it earlier on the show. One of the changes that really confused me was like when that, when they go out to see the, the, the sand crawler thing and, uh, how they, they, they totally 
changed how it gets eaten by the worm, like what happens. And I, and I couldn't really understand why they changed it. Cause so how does it happen in the book? So in the book they go over and, uh, you know, the, it's got the carrier that comes in to take it out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's gone. It's just not there. The, it, you know, maybe it's been sabotaged. Maybe it's been stolen. Maybe well, the, the carrier. Yeah. The carrier is just gone. It's just not, it's supposed to be hanging around and it's just not. Okay. And, and Lato's all pissed that it's not there. Cause you know, maybe it was sabotage. You know, it's basically unacceptable that this that this happened and that, you know, they were going to lose these people. And it makes a big deal about how he wants to save the people, doesn't care about the equipment. He gets like a bonus. He gets like a bonus for spotting the worm and he says, give it to your crew. But it highlights that he is, you know, it's, it's a big part in the book where it shows that he's a man of the people and it goes to build goodwill towards his rule and all that. And it's much more than that because of the connection with Lee at Kynes. They change yes. Lee at Kynes in the movie drastically. Um, but that flight, plus one other dinner party that's not in the movie. Oh, yeah, that dinner party would what, have been badass. Right? And that's what makes Lee at Kynes support the Atreides. Yeah. So in the movie, Lee at Kynes, when they get back from that, is like, I'm not here to take your side. And flat out says, the emperor told me I'm not allowed to even see any of this. Like, I have to forget that it exists. And then all of a sudden is supporting and Paul even calls her out and is like, wait, you're the, you know, the emperor's person and now you're helping us. And they literally, she just shrugs. <laughs> in the book, well, yeah, you're in right. the book, there's like the Atreides earn the respect of Liet Kynes, which is hard to do because of being a Fremen and, and that culture. But also he, he in the book is the Imperial person is like, I'm not supposed to like this person. I'm a Fremen. I'm not supposed to worry about, you know, outsiders, but, uh, but I really do like this person. And there's so much in the book about, you know, that flight home and how that impacts that relationship. It's not just to make goodwill for the, the Atreides soldiers and, and workers. It also like really genuinely shows why people follow the Duke. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's accurate. And they, one of the other things they changed that was kind of odd was Liet Kine's death. They, they made, they didn't change it. And I feel like that was one of those things that was a pretty simple change. Like in the book, uh, Leah is, is dumped out in the, in the desert, in the desert without even a still suit and, uh, is like beaten half unconscious and a, a pre spice mass explodes, explodes yeah. and and pulls him back down into the sand and he's dead wait um, so so dr kynes in the book is a dude yes, yes. okay and in the movie hawat specifically says that she's only been there 20 years and in the book leah kynes is the son of the original planetologist that had come there so was born and raised yeah as a fremen and like that's drastically different too, because like why is this imperial planetologist that's been there twenty years such a big deal with the Fremen when they don't like outsiders? But in the in the book, it's not an outsider. Yeah, I hadn't picked up on that. That is uh, as an odd one too. Uh, also, uh, so I guess while we're griping about things, <laughs> uh, Jessica's portrayal in this is mixed Ugh. at best. Like she is such a like a a blubbering, whining mess at the beginning of it. And like in the book, like, you know, she's nervous about, uh, like the, the Gom Jabbar thing for sure. Like, and it mentions that she's like very concerned for Paul's life. 
I mean, her son yes, could, but could die. It also but, says that it's only noticeable by Paul because he's had the, the Bene yes. Gesserit training. Like, she's fucking stone slate face, like, not yes. showing her emotions. Precisely, because she's Bene Gesserit trained, for Christ's sake. Like, she is not that kind of a mess. And, and, I, and one thing I heard that didn't surprise me uh, is Rebecca Ferguson, the lady that played Jessica, started reading the book said that it was too confusing and boring and refused to read the rest of the book. <laughs> how the fuck do you keep your job when you do shit like that? I don't know. They, yeah, they, how many people could they find to play this role? Like, they don't need her. She's not important. I don't even know who she is or what she's I would have played from. that role. Yeah, she, she's, <laughs> she's been in a, in a couple of Mission Impossible movies. Yeah, she's, but, uh, she's you know, it's not some big name actress here. Yeah. It, it's not like a Helen Mirren or yeah. like, or like a, uh, well, Helen Mirren's a professional. She probably would have read the goddamn book. Know, Mer- Meryl Streep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, yeah, I, when I heard that, I was like, that's some bullshit. I would have fired her if she was like, she didn't do a good job. I'm not, she gonna, was not a good Jessica. Well, she didn't know who the character was. Well, from the outside, I thought she did great. Yeah. Well, cause she's, <laughs> she played the standard worried mother. Yeah, who can also be a badass when she needs to. Yeah. yeah. In the book, she's a badass all the time. Yeah, <laughs> She's exactly. a stone-cold badass. Yep. Man, and what about Shade Out Mapes? She was terrible in the movie. She might as well not have been in the movie. I don't even know why they bothered saying her name. <laughs> Just wow. so that she could be having an even-keeled conversation that, <laughs> oh, it's okay. It's, you know, when you're confronted by prophecy, it's, you know, it's troubling. Who, like, who's, how do you who's that? Have that the... shitty wail in the middle. She she was the, yeah right. She was the maid that gave Jessica oh. the the Chris knife. Also, I mean, for what they were doing, why'd they even bother giving her the Chris knife? It never came up again. I mean, just because it was a scene in the book, but they skipped a whole yeah, bunch of I, other I thought, scenes I thought, in the book. They could have just not put that one in there. I thought Jessica was going to give that to Paul at some point, and that it was going to be important. But uh, no, even in the book, it, it disappears, yeah. and that's a fucking plot hole. Oh, I presumed that when she got kidnapped, that's when she lost it. Well, it never it never shows up at all. But when Duke Leto meets Stilgar for the first time in the movie, it's very different than in the book. In the book, the Chris knife is given um, to Leto to uh, Toledo, and Stilgar has to explain it, and then Leto gives it back. He's like, you know, it's it's important to you. You can have it back. I don't want to take it from you. Where in the movie, he's just like, okay, he doesn't have to give me his knife. But like, that's a big deal. And Stilgar is like, you know, once you've seen it. You either have to be cleansed or you can't like ever leave. Like we can't leave these lying around. We don't want them, you know, going off planet. They're sacred to us. The Harkonnens have a bounty out on them. Yeah. Like just for a knife, but they don't get the knife when they get Jessica. Like that should be important. Well, maybe it was just in her nightstand and they didn't know about, it. I don't know. But the, I, I mean, don't know. The Chris knives in the book are cool. Cause like the, the lore around them essentially is like, you know, if you take it out of its sheath, it needs to taste blood one way or the other. Or it'll dissolve. Yeah. It'll, it'll oh. literally, it, it'll literally fall apart if you, if it doesn't, if it doesn't taste blood. And that's why I, th- I think shout out Mapes in the, in the movie, did she cut herself with it? Yeah. There, there's like a, there's like a moment where I, th- I think it's uh Stilgar like, like does it to himself. Like like they give like their wrist or something a little nick yeah. before they resheathe them. Yes. And I didn't. Yep. Uh, oh, that's cool. Yeah. So maybe that's one of those little things for the fans, you know, where it's like people like me don't know what the fuck they're doing, but but somebody from the, from the or a fan of the book might go, oh, that's that's a cool little touch that they just threw that in there. Yeah. You know, their beliefs around him is like you need to be like if you see one, if someone that sees a Chris knife like just lays eyes on it and they're not like a fremen, 
uh, they need to be killed. Oh, shit. And they're not allowed to leave, you know, they're never allowed to leave Arrakis. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's a, they are a big deal in Fremen society. And uh, they may as well, like I said, they may as well have just not had them in the movie at all. Right. <laughs> yeah, or even just in mention, because I mean, it was a good moment in the end when uh, when Paul's going to have that duel. You know that Zendaya's, uh, oh, geez, what's her name? Johnny. I don't even. I don't even Johnny. think. I don't think they even say her name in the movie. They they do. You, you hear it a couple times, but it's it, oh it's, okay. It's just it's not very obvious. It's not pronounced. I mean, not, uh, yeah. Um, but it's it's cool. I liked the way she set that up. You know that she was like, "I want you to have like an honorable death." You know, and like, and having one of these, you know, in you and, and with you when you die is an honorable death. Like that, that was cool. I do have a question though. So in the movie, Paul has that vision of him being in a duel with somebody and getting stabbed through the stomach and then them, you know, like, like they were implying like, or they had that voiceover. It might've been from Reverend Mother. I can't remember who, but where they were talking about like, like an Atreides has to fall for the, the Kwisatz Haderach to rise. And was that the duel that he was envisioning? And did he change things by having that vision? Does that in ever come book, to play? No, there's a different duel that he envisions and he can't see who it's with. Okay. And then at the end of the book, he guesses that it's with Count Fenring because he finds out that Count Fenring or, or the reader finds out that Count Fenring was a potential Kwisatz Haderach earlier on. And so has a little bit of the talent and so can't be seen by Paul. Just uh, like uh, just like the uh, the guild navigators in the book can't see Paul. Like they can see all this future shit, but they can't see him. Interesting. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. Well, and I guess that explains why in his vision, he was wearing one of those like white suits that, that he was wearing also in like the, the war vision. Cause it, yeah. it, it must've been later on when it wasn't just yes. a regular black still suit. Well, and, and, and he has during that duel, like in the book, he has, he, like he sits down and he like try and he like goes through because it's not as immediate in the book. Like he, fu- he, like he fucks that guy, he stabs that guy and they get all pissed and then they go off to a cave and they rest for the night. And that guy's like, all right, this is bullshit. I'm going to fuck you up. And Jamis challenges him there. Wait, uh, who does Paul stab? Uh, Jamis. He, in their original encounter in the book, he, he like, they, they like do a little bit of a fight and Jamis goes to fuck him up and he stabs Jamis and like, and takes his fucking gun. Oh, thing okay. And, and, and then in the movie, they just changed oh, it. They changed it for the mom. James to... there. When they, when he first meets Jamis, he doesn't stab him. He just like punches him in the gut and knocks the wind out of him. Oh, I thought he stabbed him. No way, man. No way. No way. No way. I'm telling you. That's not, that's not, <laughs> how, that's not how it goes down. I will lean on <laughs> no, your knocks, expertise. Knocks the wind out of him. Uh, and then, and then runs up, injures his pride the cliff for the sure. toughest way. Yeah. Cause in the movie they played it off more like, no, my pride is injured because this lady just, just, uh, you know, made a bitch out of our, our leader. Like I, I, I demand my satisfaction from her. And then Paul steps up to, to be, you know, Jessica's champion essentially and take him on in the duel. Well, yeah. In the book, I think technically he's. He is Jessica's champion in the book as well, but it's for a slightly different reason. Okay. Yeah, because he's challenging Stilgar in some way or something, right? Or he's he's he, he's invoking some right that is not thoroughly explained. Yeah, the the, the Amtal rule. Um, so so basically, what was happening is uh, the rule of the Fremen is that if if there's someone that's 
putting the rest at danger by not knowing that's right. water discipline and, and how to survive on the desert that puts a toll on everyone else. So it's better to kill them and take their water. And so Jameis didn't want to accept Paul and Jessica, but Stilgar had told Leah Kynes that he would at least accept Paul. And so they were going to kill Jessica. So Jessica gets one over on Stilgar and then Stilgar's like, Oh, you know, the weirding way, which is their word for the Bene Gesserit. Yeah, um, ma- magic, stuff. essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jedi mind tricks. Exactly, exactly. And and Jameis is all butthurt because Paul, you know, got past him and wasn't supposed to. Uh, so they get to, back to the cave of, of birds, and uh, Jessica's talking to Stilgar, and and she's like, do they expect me to challenge you because I, I bested you? Like, I don't want to fuck up, you know, the natural order of your leadership here. And they go through this drama of, like, you know, my that like the duke is dead am i supposed to become your lady now like we don't want to do that and there's this huge you know social politics of that group is is talked about and then Jameis gets all like angry and he's like you're treating her like she's this you know important religious person and we just met her we don't know her you haven't proven that she's someone to trust and and bring in so i challenge the way you're treating her and uh and paul has to be the champion because according to their prophecy she won't have to fight someone will fight for her so like it's a huge fremen prophecy like they have prophecy for everything and paul keeps ticking off all the fucking boxes for all the prophecies and that's repeated over and over and over again in the book not unlike the gospels or the Matrix, which is kind of funny because they they also make it <laughs> kind of clear that the Benny Gesserit like wrote all of those prophecies. Yeah, they set that up. Yeah, yeah. like, like they they came here and they set all that shit up ahead of time, and uh, you know, and they also been they, late. they also like genetic, you know, basically, you know, um, eugenics or fucking Paul into existence. I mean, like that was the the idea is that they were you know selectively breeding to try and bring. You know, Equizots had a rock around. Yeah. And and they originally like like they, they talk in the book about how they wanted Jessica to have a daughter, so then the daughter of Atreides could marry the son of Harkonnen, yeah, and then Fa- that would yeah, be Fade their... Routha, I think, is who they oh, really? wanted that him yeah. her to mate with, and then that was supposed to be Yeah. That would the, be the Quizots uh, so Rock and and Count bridge the Fenring's two. Fenring's wife is a Bene Gesserit and has to fuck Fade Routha. Because they have to they have to keep that bloodline. So she's got to get impregnated by Fade Ratha. Wait, so how are they related to each other? Is is that full-on inbreeding? I don't know. No, them two, no. No, so oh, okay. Count Fenring is the Emperor's buddy. His wife is a Bene Gesserit, so she's got to do whatever the Bene Gesserit say. And Fade Ratha is the nephew of Baron Harkonnen. Oh, okay, okay. So, they need to, so Baron Harkonnen is, uh, he, he likes dudes, and because he's a Baron... He has to try to keep that on the low. And so, you know, he just rapes and murders slaves, especially young boys. Yeah, he's a straight-up pedophile in the book. He's a nasty fucker. Yeah. Oh, wow, yeah. They didn't yeah, touch on that in the movie. A, he's a pretty terrible creature. <laughs> yeah. So they want to preserve the Harkonnen bloodline, and Jessica was supposed to have a, a daughter, and then they would get together with the Harkonnens. And that is another thing that later on in the books gets fully explained why that's important and why that's a big deal. And you don't even get an inkling of it at first in, in the first book, but later on it's massive. 
Well, yeah. Well, in the first book, like, it, I mean, it comes out that uh, Jessica is, she's the Baron's daughter, right? Yes. Yeah. And you don't know who the mother is yet. Baron whose daughter? Harkonnen. Baron Harkonnen's daughter. Oh, shit. Yeah. And so Paul is a Harkonnen as well. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. So it's Harkonnen against Harkonnen. And it's like, he doesn't want the Fremen to find out that he's a Harkonnen because they fucking hate those guys. Yeah, right? Yeah, that's not that wouldn't be good. And Paul's ostensibly the hero of the book, but he's also kind of stepping in and being like, yeah, I'm your god now. You guys, it's, it's cool. And he knows it's all yeah. bullshit that was laid by the Bene Gesserit. Like, he, he's fully aware that, like, this entire prophecy, like, he's able to manipulate the prophecy. Oh, absolutely. They do that on purpose. Yeah. And they show that in the movie. I gotta say, they do show that yeah. in the movie where they have to take advantage of, you know, the superstitions and prophecies that were laid before. But in the book, Jessica even, like, accuses him. And she's like, you never stop indoctrinating. Like, what the fuck, man? And he's like, this is what you made me. Like, I've got to now. And there's going to be a holy war. Crazy. So much stuff. Yeah, they, they barely touched on the jihad thing in the movie as well. Like, they had that one little flashback oh, that cut scene in, in the, the tent. fight, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, that's such a huge pillar of Paul's motivation in the first book. And I don't yep. think it really made its way through in the movie at all. To the uninitiated, I had no clue of any of that. Yeah. Like, like I'm watching it. I'm like, there's no way someone that hasn't read the book understands what this vision is no. at all. Right. No clue. You have no idea what time period it is. You just see that Paul's fighting with Fremen. Yep. That's it. So you he's know fighting he's going some people some with point. them. Which, yep. I mean, that, that seems pretty straightforward as far as like his journey is considered like like it, it seems pretty yeah. standard that like okay yeah he's teaming up with them he's gonna lead them he is quote unquote the one in that vision though he's still on arrakis though right yeah yes in the movie but in the book he gets visions of like yeah him and the fremen rolling over the entire universe yeah global like jihad just going everywhere every planet damn well i think there, there's one thing we haven't touched on uh, in the movie that I think is really important. I think it's on everybody's minds and on, 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 in everybody's mouths. What the fuck is with Jason Momoa's face without a beard? <laughs> it's kind of chubby looking. <laughs> He's got a really round face. Like, yeah. He does not have a chiseled jaw. Like I was surprised. I would have expected one. <laughs> I thought, I, I was like, did he put on a bunch of weight for the role? What is different about his face? And it hit me a little, a little bit in. I was like, wow, it's no beard. Like, I, I think the only other, other time I've seen him without a beard was when he did that Conan movie, but I didn't even see that whole thing. Like, I just, I know it existed. He had a beard at the beginning of the movie, didn't he? Did he shave it? Maybe he had to shave it, it for was, the still It was suits, light. Or? No. Oh, did, did they have it, like, in that first scene yeah. where, where like, you know, the, the first, like, one of, one of George's uh, scenes he loves that they added to the beginning of the, of the movie? Paul Un- Unnecessarily. Fuck yeah. you, Duncan. <laughs> Jason Momoa played Jason Momoa. Yeah. I mean, he he does one thing and he did that, and you know, wasn't entirely but out of character to be talking really right well as what Duncan actually did in the fucking book. <laughs> yeah, Duncan did stuff with the with the Fremen, but then he also has to watch Jessica because Jessica is you know being treated like the criminal by Hawat to see if she's the traitor. So he's got to spy on Jessica. And then after the dinner party that doesn't make it into the movie, he brings some of the escort ladies back home. Yeah, he's all drunk. And talk about how like he's always given the duty to you know deal with the the ladies, and he's viewed yeah. as like very handsome. And then he comes back shit faced, yelling about how Jessica's a traitor, and like has to be dealt with shit faced in the hall in the middle of the night. Like 
Jason Momoa could have knocked that out of the park. Yeah, exactly. What do you guys say? You want to take a little break? Whatever you guys want. You know, keeping up with what's going on in the world can sometimes feel like more trouble than it's worth. There's so much information flying around, it's almost impossible to get anything of value out of it all. But that's what Assorted Goods is all about. Every episode, your host, Dan, me, takes the time to break down and dive into a collection of news stories and topics, big or small, past or present. It's a podcaster's journey to learn a little more about the world, one story at a time. So stop by, kick back, relax, and join me in my efforts to figure out some of the craziness, and maybe have a couple laughs along the way. Find Assorted Goods wherever you get your podcasts, and I'll see you there. Welcome back, John. Fuck off. I <laughs> caught you with your mouth full. <laughs> mm-hmm. Before we move on, one, one, like, I don't want to, George didn't like the movie, so uh, he is shitting on okay, it. Okay, so I, I did didn't enjoy like the movie. the movie is, is, I'm not being fair. It's a beautiful movie. As a movie, it's fine. As a retelling of Dune, it fucked up and it left a lot of shit out that should have been in there. And it's disappointing. But as a movie, without taking the books into consideration, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I'm in the same place where I, I enjoyed the movie. I, I liked it. Um, but, but I think it's, for me, its biggest weakness is Dune's biggest strength, and that's the world building. Because I don't think the movie really built a meaningful world at all. Like, it didn't give you, I mean, you got the sense that there was stuff going on that you didn't see, obviously. There's an Imperium. But it did not give you a big, cohesive, interesting, interconnected world. It didn't get really give me much of a sense of that outside of what I already knew from reading the book. And I think the world building was was one of the strongest traits of of the book. In, Agreed. In Before this movie came out, I was seeing commercials billing it as the next Star Wars, the next Lord of the Rings. So as far as their own commercials say, I don't think it made it there. I think it's a beautiful movie. I think it's, you know, it's, it's, I watched it three times. Yeah. So you must I'm like on a it at least podcast a little bit. And I don't watch the movies I talk about more than <laughs> once, <laughs> but I watched this three times. I like Dune. Okay. It's a fine movie. I'm definitely going to watch the second one when it comes out. I expect it to be even better because now they know that it's going to make money. So I think they'll, you know, really put in and there's the big ass fight scene. So, you know, I'm definitely going to watch the second Dune. Oh, yeah. But, uh, it's hard. It's hard to look at it as you know not being a fan and knowing all the things. So I feel bad saying I don't like it because like I, I I like it. It's just not what I wanted. Well, coming from that perspective, you know, like not not being a fan of the books, like the the Star Wars uh, analogy is ridiculous. Like Star Wars stands on its own. At least the the first yep. one. Yeah. That's my biggest problem with this movie. But I, I in a way I do see it you know, being comparable to Lord of the Rings. Like this, this is building up a bigger story, but as much as I enjoyed the movie, like we've said, it's beautiful. I love that. I love that Dune, you know, like it feels like it's just humans in the future, you know, like, like their instruments are still familiar, even though it's, you know, eight millennia ahead. Okay. So that's actually a really important part of the books that you get much more of later on. Oh yeah, that well, well, it it kind of from what I heard, it felt like it was kind of the same thing, Ben, that we are creating in our comic book, where it's like this is humanity just thousands of years later when humans have gone into space. Yeah, sorry, where 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 the movie really fell flat for me 
was just the fact that I wanted something that would stand on its own and it 100% does not. And that makes me angry that I have to wait two more years to get any sort of conclusion at all. Like that there wasn't even a good stopping point in this. It just sort of ended like it, like I was, I was watching the movie and enjoying it. And then I was like, oh, fuck, like how, how long do I have? You know, like if they're just getting into this, you know, they're just meeting up with the, with the Fremen they're going to have this duel. Like how long do I have? I have to go pick up my kid. And I looked and there was like 15 minutes left. I was like, wait, what the fuck are they even going to do in 15 minutes? And the answer was hardly anything. When I was watching it, that's kind of what I was wondering. I was like, so where are they going to, where are they going to cut this? Cause there isn't a really great place no they should have ended it like in the middle of the storm that they were flying in and just literally just said to be continued yeah well like what is it Uh, because the 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 first book is split into like inside of it it has three books as book one two and three and i think book one ends in the tent like when they're in the tent and in the storm that's the book one ends there book two ends after jessica becomes the new the new reverend Reverend Mother. mother i believe right the 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 new Sayadina. Yeah. Some made up word. The religious leader. <laughs> the religious leader of the Fremen. She takes over for Reverend Ramallah or whatever her name is. Yeah. Like the story doesn't have a good break point in the middle. So you kind of just have to pick one. No, the book is is pre-Fremen, joining the Fremen with the Fremen. Three sections. Yeah. It's got a little bit of a jump between the second and the third. If they could have done like a Lord of the Rings where they split it up into three, you know, three and a half hour director's cuts where they did those three blocks, they probably could have fit it, you know, fit in a lot more and it would have been a lot better. But it's it's a hard sell to try and get a studio to give you that much money to make 10 hours of movie. Not just that. We haven't talked about the old movie. Oh, yeah, we will. Yeah, we, we, we got to at least touch on that, even though I don't really have anything to say about it. But it does seem seem necessary, but you know, I I understand why they why they wouldn't do this, but like I would I would rather have had a four hour movie that told. I mean, I don't even know if they could have told the whole story, but I would I would have I would have rather have you know some some sort of honest conclusion, or if they would have done it like Lord of the Rings, where where they're filming back to back and they're releasing them year after year, because I don't like that I have to wait two years. And that, and that I, I went into this not knowing that that's what I was going to have to do. Like that, that makes me mad. Yeah. That's probably a bummer for a bunch of people. So I guess, I guess speaking of the 84 movie, let's talk about the 84 movie. When you make a movie that bad, I'm surprised they let you make the movie again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's probably why it took so long (laughs) to get another theatrical Dune. You guys have seen the old movie, right? I have not. Woo! Oh, really? Oh, I've I saw it years ago. Uh, honestly, see, no, I'd started reading the book before that, but I had not finished it, and I watched that movie, and it it's just a really confusing mess. I remember finishing it, being like, I don't know what the fuck just happened. Maybe Dune is dumb, and that's kind of where I left the property for years. Okay, hold on a second, guys. I don't. I don't know. I may want to go watch this without knowing exactly how awful it is and why would you guys mind terribly would you guys mind terribly if i just stepped out of the conversation for uh for five ten minutes no i mean i don't mind 
Okay. If you don't want spoilers, I get it. Yeah, yeah. And then I'll just wait to listen to the. Ooh, that that means I'll I'll have uh, I'll have something from this show to look forward to that that, <laughs> that I wasn't a part of. Weird. Okay. I'll see you guys and uh, I'll set alarm for my for myself for five minutes. All right. And go. Okay. So I watched the old movie for the first time. I don't know a month or two ago. Oh shit! And it fucking sucked. <laughs> It's super bad. So bad. <laughs> so bad. And I watched it and I was like, I, I went into it knowing that it was considered a terrible movie. Uh, <laughs> it, when I when I looked it up, I saw plenty of articles about like, apparently Dune's been tried multiple times and everyone fucks it up because it's a really hard property to do, which I get. But I watched it because I wanted the experience. I wanted to know what they had tried. And after watching this new movie... I like the old movie a lot more. Oh shit! Really? You, well, uh, not, yeah, not more I, I than the see, new movie. But more than I did. I, I can see that because they 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 try and touch on more. Kind of. They are much more faithful to the book. Yeah. In the, in the old movie, they put so much more actual information. They don't add scenes that weren't in it. They get the timeline mostly right, and they tell the complete story. It's fucking ugly. Yeah, it's, it is an ugly movie and the acting sucks ass. But the story itself was better than the story of this one. This one, the acting was much better and it was beautiful, but the story was not as good. It's got all that inner monologue. Like, like it's like the, you know, we're, we're, there's so much exposition, which there needs to be a lot of exposition to, to really explain right. things. But there's, there's just so much barfing information at the audience and it's not very tactfully yes. done at all. No, it's not. That's not necessarily done the best, but the story they weave is, is better. They didn't do it. Well, they did not succeed. This movie, I would say succeeded and just didn't meet my hopes, but succeeded. 84 didn't fucking succeed. No, it was very poor execution of, of, yep. uh, of a good story. It's kind of like star Wars in the prequels where like the prequels, are very poorly executed, but uh, but but the the story and the hearts there, <laughs> but they're they're just done so badly that they're hard to watch. Oh man, I love them, love them because of that. <laughs> they're nowhere near as bad as the Dune movie. You know what I mean? Like there no, are, there like, are movies that are hard to watch, and then there are movies that like, all right, they tried hard, but it's still fun, it's still good. Yeah, yeah, this is that's not one of them. No, no. I, no. Like I said, I saw it and I, I did not like it. And I remember being really confused and just, you know, and I wasn't familiar with the story at all at that point. Like I, like I said, I maybe started reading the book, but never didn't get any further than that. And so like, I walked away from that movie thinking, yeah, maybe I don't need to read Dune because that was not good. Man, I got to tell you. Okay. So Dune is every single one of the books that I read was a great read. I think book two might be the worst book and it's still a great book. That's children of Dune, right? Uh, I don't know the names of them. There's so many of them. Um, yes. Cause there's, there's children, there's, uh, Messiah. There's fuck. There's a million. I don't know. Um, but the other books, they get into so much more in the future and then they jump back. So, so when Frank Herbert died, he had been compiling notes for a seventh book. Yeah. Um, but when he died, no one knew where those notes were. Oh shit. So, uh, 
Brian, is that his son's name? Brian Herbert? Yeah, I believe so. And then there's that other guy that he worked with. So it's so it's the son of Frank Herbert and this other guy that w- they were both authors. And uh, so he had grown up in this story while his dad was writing it. So it was still dear to him and he still knew it well. And he had some of his dad's notes. So they wrote more of the Dune story. And then eventually they found those fucking notes. And so they used those notes and wrote that story. So there's like six Dune books that are linear, right? And then the next six are like prequel books. And then after that goes back to after everything. It's so there's, there's just so much. The story gets huge. Like you go 3,500 years in the future between these books, but then the whole, it's like 10,000 years or something like that between like the whole series. It's, it's nuts. So they give, okay. So they give a lot. So the reason why the technology is, uh, is so limited is because, you know, thousands and thousands of years before, um, when people were still on earth, they had created these like crazy cyborg bodies that human brains could go into and they took over the whole fucking planet. Yeah. Very like Skynet took over the whole fucking planet and then like tried to seed the galaxy and each have their own planet and stuff. And then there was this huge rebellion against them by all the humans that were slaves. And the rebellion was uh, the original Atreides and Harkonnen. Oh, hey, guys. Howdy. Welcome back. Thank you. Why is everyone welcoming me back tonight? The rest of the books. Yeah, well, they they kind of allude to that in the beginning of Dune. And when they talk about how, like, you know, thinking machines have been banned. Like, you can't have machines that think. the Bularian Jihad has dictated that they can no longer build machines in the semblance of a human mind. So they can have machines that you have to manually operate, but nothing with a built-in AI. And that's why the spice is so important to the guild navigators, because it gives them uh, the prescient ability to be able to see a pathway through the stars so they can go like light speed without having to worry about flying right through a fucking star. Yeah, because they don't have they can't computers. Build the computers to do that, so they have to have these guild navigators that are just overdosing on spice constantly, destroying their bodies to be able to have this mental ability. So, like, that's why spice is so fucking important for them. That's why the guild is involved in the movie. That's why the guild bank is sacked in the book at the beginning of when they take Arakeen. That's why the guild navigators come down to the planet. Uh, not not the navigators. The guild representatives come down to the planet with the emperor at the end of the book. Like they're huge. Paul gets them to back off and be like, "Hey, how about you take all those troops and have them fuck right off, or I'll just blow up all the spice and you can eat, you can eat dicks." <laughs> right, exactly. He who controls the spice controls the fucking Imperium, man. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so that was the Bularian Jihad, yeah. and uh, during that, there was a pivotal battle on uh, one of the Carino planets and uh, the Atreides and the Harkonnens go way back. Right. And they were, they were like very closely related and the Harkonnens uh, acted like cowards during that battle. And the Atreides were the heroes. 
And so the feud has been going on since then. The feud's been going on for like thousands of years. That's one of the things I, l- I like about Dune as well as the aesthetic. It's kind of like this, you know, feudal, almost almost medieval kind of setting, but in space. Like people are fighting yes. with swords and they're flying analog spaceships, which just boggles my mind. Like that's that's awesome. <laughs> I heard some people complaining about that, about the movie being like, well, why are they fighting with swords? And they like, they clearly they have laser guns. They don't explain that in the movie. No, they don't. Cause basically they, you know, they have that gun that's like cutting through everything. That lays gun, the last gun. Yeah. But if it hits a shield, it kill it, it makes a, you know, there's a catastrophic explosion on both sides. So if you shoot somebody with a shield, with a, a laser gun, you die too. And so do they. It becomes oh. an atomic weapon. Yeah. There's, it be, you get, you get like nuclear fission and that's the explosion. So it's fucking huge. Those explosions can be mistaken for atomic bombs. Yep. That's talked about in the book. Yeah. Yeah. They, they use that as a tactic at the end. And then, you know, there's no ballistics don't have, you know, basically bounce right off shields. So like, you you know, normal guns don't have any value, you know, so that's why they're fighting with swords. And, uh, and it's just, it's just a cool aesthetic. And like the way people talk in the book too, like just the way the dialogue's written is very theatrical in like the yep, theatrical And there's a lot of formality and there's a lot of, a lot of made up words, a lot of big words. <laughs> yes, there is. Full concepts. Yeah. So there's so much more story in the other books. They're definitely worth reading if you have the time. Oh, but, yeah, uh, I'm out. Yeah. If you don't, like, <laughs> that's a huge thing to, to, to read. And, you know, like I said earlier, it's not one of those books you can read a bit of, put down for a while, come back to. Like, you got to read it straight through. It's not worth it to do anything else because you just won't fucking know what's going on. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to audiobook uh, at least a couple more of these. See, I'm, I'm in a hard spot right now where it's like, I know enough about the story, like, like, especially after discussing it here, the differences between the movie and the book, like, I don't think I could start the book at the beginning and go through this stuff that I already know just for the stuff that they left out. I think I would have a hard time, you know, sticking with, you know, long form, lots of words, you know, when I already know the story, I have a hard time going back and reading anything after I've seen the movie. So it sucks because like, I would like to experience the book, but I just don't. I don't think I'm going to get to it. It's sad, but understandable. <laughs> yeah, it's accurate. <laughs> um, so what do you think? Move on into some structure? Yeah, let's do it. I don't know. Should I take point again? Because my, my responses are so are so quick. <laughs> yeah, so what's your I favorite mean, use in pop culture, My favorite John? use in pop culture was this movie I saw earlier today because it's my <laughs> only reference point. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's... I really like the poster from the 1984 movie, but I don't think I enjoyed it more than this than the movie. You never played the video any of the video games? There's video games? Yeah, I think there was one for there was a PC game like when we were kids. Oh man, I never See, played it. Yeah, but. I didn't play many PC games. Like over at your place was the only place I ever really played them. Um, so yeah, I didn't know there were any Dune video games. Oh, you know what? I do have a question, real quick. What are those things they put in their noses? Because they did it in the 84 movie too. And they looked very similar. So it's part of the still suit. So the still suit basically uses the movement of your body to re- to pump and recycle all of your, your all moisture. Of the moisture from your body. Mm-hmm. It's a movie, so they have actors who want to show their faces. So they have their faces uncovered way more than they than they really should. Yeah, terrible still suit discipline. Yeah. Those <laughs> fremen would be ostracized yes. and and treated like. 
you know, peons from the from the pan and the and you know the towns. See that that's the thing is like I I felt like there was a lot of inconsistency in like how a person how long a person can survive on the planet without a still uh, still suit. You know, and like, like uh, whether or not you had to have that thing in your nose, like, like there were, there were times where the entire group had them all in their nose and Timothy Chalamet didn't. And I'm like, why doesn't he need it in his nose right now? It was probably irritating. He's a model. It's probably irritating Timothy Chalamet's nose. That's yeah. why. Uh, yeah. I, 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 you know, per the book, they should have had those in their nose and the, like the face coverings on all the time. Anytime they were they in were, the sun. Unless they were in some sort of, also they spent a lot more time in the sun than they should have. Yeah. Cause yeah, they travel at night, man. Cause shooting at night is, is harder. So, <laughs> oh boy, they, they sure like digitally darkened a couple shots. Yeah. Is ugh, is straight up jaws two bullshit. <laughs> all, right, all right, George, what's, what's your favorite use in pop culture? Um, man, there are so many uses in pop culture. I have two in mind, but I would say my favorite is there's an episode of the Simpsons and, uh, someone, uh, Lisa is eating something and someone asks her if it's spicy enough and she responds that she can see through time. <laughs> you know, I know what you're talking about. I did not get that reference. <laughs> well, no, because there's a lot of subtle references in fucking everything. Like there's so many TV shows that have like the tiniest little references and it's, it's adorable. Yeah. Has the Goldbergs done a, uh, a Dune episode yet? I wouldn't be surprised. They they do all the eighties movies. I have not uh I've not watched much of the Goldbergs. Oh I neither have I. Uh, I I enjoyed the shit out of it for the first few seasons. It it it's gotten a little formulaic, but it's still really enjoyable for, you know, anybody who had any experience in the eighties. Yeah. I caught them when I caught them, but I've never watched it deliberately. Oh yeah, and you don't have Hulu. I don't. Same as these. So uh, that that was a that was a quick one, George. What's your other one? Yeah, yeah. Do you got any more? I do, I do. There's a SpongeBob episode where uh, Sandy Cheeks is involved. The squirrel. Do you guys know SpongeBob? I do. Since you said the squirrel, okay. I get it. <laughs> okay, yeah. So so Sandy Cheeks, the squirrel, <laughs> and they're like out and about in this big like empty space. So it just looks like sand underwater. And there's a sign that literally just says worm. Like, it's like a warning. Like, there are, like, watch out for worms. Sea sand worms. And, uh, and she looks at it and she goes, oh, worm sign. And then a huge fucking worm, like, chases them. <laughs> so worm sign is when you see the worm coming, yeah. like, on the way to, you know, fuck up your shit. Oh, is that what they called it in the book, in the movie? Like, yeah. worm sign? Yeah, worm yeah. sign. Yeah, worm sign is when, like, you see it off in the distance. Oh, You see the, the okay. ground rising and... yeah. Okay, about that, about that. Those worms are fucking huge, right? Like, they are, they're mentioned as being like 400 meters long. But in the book, Paul ride one, uh, rides one that he says is uh, over half a league long. That's at least a mile and a half long. <laughs> yeah, big boy. That's insane. These things, how are, how is the planet still alive like fuck they could eat like mane in a bite it's huge <laughs> uh, and the the fremen are like farming them in the book too like, <laughs> like they've got little ones in like that are trapped they're, 
Yeah, they keep they just keep small ones that are like a couple meters long and they, you know, like catch them, drown them, drink the goo that comes out of them for, you know, drugs for drug, and orgies. For dr- yeah, drug orgy purposes. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah, the worms I doubt that's are, showing up in part know, 2. So vital. But uh man, they're insane. Can you even imagine a creature anywhere near that big? Like that makes like a dinosaur look like an ant. Yeah, and then and then be like, you know what? I'm 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 gonna ride that thing. It's gonna do what I tell it to. <laughs> like fuck that. Yeah, yeah. Fuck that. I don't want to be on that planet, let alone try <laughs> to get close enough that I can hop onto it using a hook that's like three feet long. That's it. That's what they get. Not like a fucking harpoon gun. Or like an elevator, like a hook. They yeah. literally have to be right next to it and just touch it with the hook. <laughs> As it comes out of the sand, right next to you. Because you've been, right. if it's you've that been long, attracting how big it to is it? Like, what is the curvature of this? Like, do you have to be underneath its overhang? Like, how the fuck do you get onto this thing? <laughs> Movie magic. <laughs> All right, sorry. <laughs> Talking about sandworms uh, is a good segue into my favorite use in pop culture. Which is a bit of a stretch because it's not—it's oh. not Dune adjacent, but uh, I know where is, this is going. It is absolutely Tremors. Oh shit! I was thinking something. If, else. I mean, can, that's you cannot tell me that Tremors was not inspired by some dude reading Dune and being like, "Yeah, what if what if we had giant? What if we had sandworms in a, like a little town in Texas?" Yeah, yeah. And Tremors was fucking scary when it came out. Yeah, like, that movie's—it's a great fucking movie. There's like nine of them now. Still never seen a single what? one. You haven't seen Tremors? Nope. Oh, the movie's fucking oh, great. Oh, man. Kevin Bacon at his yeah, best. Yeah, absolutely. That is prime <laughs> Kevin Bacon. But yeah, it's got, it's got worms that travel through the ground. They can hear you when, you when you step on sand. You can, like, get up on rocks and be safe. I mean, it is, it's like, it's like Dune, Texas edition. <laughs> Kevin Bacon, Texas edition. Yeah. Not like Chuck Norris, Texas edition. No, it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's a brilliant little horror movie. It's very well, I mean, it's well constructed. It's, it's a good watch. It's, it's got some humor in it. It's got good character. I mean, it's just, it's a solid little movie and, uh, practical effects are decent. Yeah. Practical effects are rather good. And, uh, and I, like, I haven't heard anything about it being inspired by Dune, but there's a, a 0% chance in my mind that, uh, that it wasn't. See what I was wondering about. And I thought this is where you were going to go when you were saying it was a bit of a stretch was Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice? Yeah. Yeah, they've definitely got some sandworms in that. They do have sandworms. They're not. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was inspired by by Dune either. But yeah. uh, they're not. They're not as direct a pull as Tremors is. Yeah, like Tremors is like, hey, why don't I make a horror movie about those sandworms from Dune? Except smaller yeah. because they would not yeah, be exactly. Uh, you would, it would be the worms. There's a metal band named Shai Halud because Shai Halud is the yeah. like the Freeman name for the worm. Oh, that reminds me. I totally didn't write it down, but there was there was a metal band. It may have even been was it Iron Maiden? Maybe. Oh, I don't know. But there there was a uh, there was a metal band that wanted to name one of their their albums, or no, it was a track on an album after Dune, or after something from Dune and the Herbert Estate. Apparently, it was when Frank Herbert was still alive. And apparently the response was Frank Herbert doesn't really care for your type of music. So no, <laughs> so they had to call it something else. 
Check the wiki. I think that's where I read it. Frank Herbert wasn't an Iron Maiden fan? Yeah. Uh, you know what? I think, uh, I don't think it was actually Iron Maiden. I don't know why. I think maybe I heard a different memory about Iron Maiden recently and oh, good. misconstrued those. So Frank Herbert was an Iron Maiden fan. That makes me feel better. Yep. It's history. It's canon. <laughs> well, Ron, I mean, Frank Herbert was kind of an interesting guy. I didn't look too deep into his his background, but from what I got, like, I guess he was a, he was a professor. He was like a speechwriter for a president. He was a journalist. I think he had like I, th- I thought I heard he had like three PhDs. So the the guy was uh, he got around was a bit of a polymath. Yeah, like he definitely he seemed like the kind of guy that just was restless all the time. I wanted to do more and do things. And like I think like his journalism and like political speechwriter roots definitely come through in the book. Not just that, but his his views on like ecology. Yeah. Like he was very, very passionate about, uh, you know, how we're treating the planet and Dune is actually used in like some ecology lessons. Oh yeah. Yeah. Dune is, Dune is used in reference and talked about like, you know, you can be symbiotic with nature. You don't need to like fuck everything up. We don't want this to be, you know, Getty prime. <laughs> Place is fucking terrible. Well, yeah. And, and I, I, I read some stuff. I haven't since I haven't read all the books. I don't have all the context, but it kind of like one of the major themes of the books ends up being kind of don't follow power blindly. Right. Yes. There is a lot of a lot of politics. Um, so so Paul takes over. Right. He becomes like the new religious leader of the known universe. And in the other books, he ends up just walking out into the fucking desert. He's blind from a nuclear blast and he just decides to like, just go away. He's sick of being who he is. So he just walks off into the desert and, uh, he's got two kids. He's got a, a boy and a girl, not the same baby from the first book. Cause he croaks. Yeah. But, one, um, one gets dead. So he's got, he's yeah. So he's got twins, right? This boy and girl. Are they twins? I don't fucking remember. He's got the, the boy and the girl and the boy Lito the second ends up turning into um a sandworm like what? he joins yeah and that's the that's how he's 35 you know 100 years old is that he has let the baby sandworms the sand plankton like create this you know outer shell armor of their body and then he slowly mutates and him and the worm become one and he grows into a massive fucking sandworm Weird. But he's still, you know, the same, like, mind. And so he dominates the entire fucking universe and uh, says he's a god. And he's fucking 3,500 years old. So, like, who, who's not going to believe that, right? So he's, like, the god of the universe. But he fucks with people on purpose and oppresses people on purpose to make them mad to fight against him. Because his whole point is to be, like, you never want to be you know controlled like this ever again don't fall into this pattern ever again never let another tyrant besides me like i want to make you mad enough that you fight me so that you never have to deal with me it's weird it's yeah so i am your god but i want you to prove me wrong and when you try i'm gonna fuck you up but one day i'll prophesy one day you guys will win (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> fuck i did some digging guys and uh this uh this little snippet here from the, from the wiki so take it with a grain of salt it says in 1983 
British heavy metal band Iron Maiden requested permission from Herbert's publisher to name a song on their album Peace of Mind after Dune, but were told that the author had a strong distaste for their style of music. They instead titled the song To Tame a Land. They were going to call it Peace of Mind, and they had to ask his permission? No, the, it was on the album Peace of Mind. I don't know if they were just going to call oh. the song Dune or what, or Arrakis. But they, and they ended up naming it To Tame a Land. So that song was originally supposed to be named after Dune. They should have called it Eat Shit, Frank Herbert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. Frank Herbert Loves Our Music. That's the name of this song. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Closet Iron Maiden fan, comma, Fra- <laughs> or colon, Frank Herbert. <laughs> Man, you guys got some... You guys got some some good pop culture references I didn't know. I like that. <laughs> That's all I'm good for is reading the wiki and trying to find something interesting. <laughs> um, I guess we want to wrap it up with one word reviews. Let's do it. I'm not going to go first this time. Um, all right. Hey, George, you said I think you said you had three one word reviews. Which yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's allowed. I do. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Should I say all of them? Sure, it doesn't sound like John has one, so... Uh, can... <laughs> yeah, just just <laughs> text me one of them. <laughs> All right, so so for just the first book, I said uh, Rousing. I think it's it's a... it's Yeah, I don't, I'm not supposed to explain, right? It's just one yeah. word. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, definitely explain it. I mean, we kind of use this as our, as our, like, your final thoughts on the property. Yeah, so. we, used to, we used to have two separate segments, which was one word review and then final thoughts. And we're like, yeah, well, I think we should just sort of give our final thoughts with, you know, the the word that encapsulates it. All right. So for the first book, Rousing, it got me really interested. It had a lot going on. I was thinking about it a lot. I went through it fast. I loved it. For the whole book series, I would say Fervid, very passionate, the author, and then his son and the other author that helped with the rest of the books clearly loved the story and treated it well and for either of the movies i chose sisyphean uh meaning just like doomed to fail no matter how hard they try <laughs> always pushing that boulder up the hill but never yeah. getting to the top right. <laughs> fuck him man god's gonna punish them they, they tried so hard and they fucking failed when I was reading the book, I was like, this is going to be a motherfucker to try and adapt into a movie. Yeah, this you is, even said that to me. This is not an easy, it may not even be an appropriate thing to adapt to film. You know, not every work of one media should be translated into another. Other than doing like a Game of Thrones 15 hour epic series, I don't see how you put this into movie. Even some of the stuff that just happens in it with the, the way it gives you information and and the way it the 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 stuff the narrator says it's it's so heavily narrated that it would be it, it's just a tough translation and is it is it worth it if you're only going to get subpar stuff out of it I'd just read the fucking book books are good well, and and you know I, that's something we didn't we didn't touch on cuz i mean i don't have much to say about it but that the same person that was that you know told me was disappointed by by uh, this new movie uh, said that that the sci-fi series Frank Herbert's Dune, you know that that was what like six parts, ten parts. I don't, I can't it remember anymore. Four. Oh, was three. it four? I think it might have just been three. Oh, okay, but they were each like an hour and a half long or yeah. something, right? So they they were saying that that that's their favorite um, adaptation of of the book. I and have not seen that yet. I'll have to look into that. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. 
I, I wanted to try and watch it for this, but didn't. So same here. What the fuck are you gonna do? Yeah. You got your one word review, Ben, or do you want me to take it? Oh, you got one? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, All right, yeah, I've got, you got so little to pull from <laughs> that, that, that it's that it's it's easy. I just have to. I just have to. I mean, noon. Your one word review is just do <laughs> dry. <laughs> no, uh, I mean, I'm just I'm just gonna go with pretty because this movie. Well, it was a pretty flick and like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to name it disappointing or unfinished, you know, because that, that's, uh, even though that is accurate, like I think coming out of that movie, I enjoyed my time there. I, you know, and, and it was beautifully shot. The effects were great. Um, I really dig the, the whole aesthetic of, of most things, except for that, that weird, like egg shaped ship with the giant round mouth that ships just fly out of it seems like like the weirdest laziest fucking ship design i've ever seen in my life so something interesting about that i guess i heard like a brief interview with danny um or <laughs> denis, D- denis villeneuve, villeneuve. yeah <laughs> dennis dennis villeneuve i guess him and his friend when he when they were like teenagers wrote a screenplay for dune just like between between the two of them they were super into it and they wrote like their own little screen treatment thing for it and did a bunch of like drawings and stuff of what they wanted stuff to look like he didn't use the original screenplay that's probably good yeah but he said he did go back to a lot of his original drawings from when he was a teenager for the, the like the ship designs and the designs of stuff it looked like a big ass cigar with a hole in it or something like it it I'm sorry, it looks stupid. <laughs> but but I mean it was it was rendered very uh very prettily, you know, and and, and I think I, its I, point was to give you the scale because like you see this big thing and you yeah. see all those tiny little things like fleas coming out of it, and then you see those land and they're fucking huge. Yeah. But yeah, movie was pretty. Sets were designed well, props were cool, suits were cool, that worm was neat. Yeah, it had way more teeth in there than I was expecting. Yeah, it almost looked like hair. Yeah, it was like baleen or something. Yeah, it did look a lot like that. It, they didn't look very sharp. Yeah, yeah. They they didn't look hard. Like, like it, it seems like you would be able to like brush it like tall grass or something. I mean, it's got to like filter all that sand out. It's got to eat just a fuck ton of sand, right? Yeah. That sucks. But that's okay. It likes sand, man. Don't judge. Carb free. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I think I'm just going to go with um I had two that I was bouncing between. Well, shit, with George on the show, we can have seven if we want. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, th- I think I'm going to go with uh, Dignagian because I like that word a lot, and it means really, really big. What the, the fuck? The... <laughs> you fucking asshole. <laughs> That's awesome. The world just, uh, it feels big. I mean, apparently it is. It's got 44 fucking books. I didn't even know that. But... Even just reading through the first book, it feels like you're in a, a you're involved in a small part of a big universe. The, the whole time you're reading, you get the impression that there's all kinds of stuff going on behind the scenes. There's different factions of people. There's different po- you know political influences from all over the universe. You've got you know the the emperor and you know the Padishah emperor. I don't know what Padishah means, but sounds important big families and houses like really you only get introduced to two of the houses but you get the idea that the lands rot has got and there's another word is got uh just a whole you know a whole bunch of these great houses and the, there's just a lot of intricacy and and it's a living breathing universe 
that uh, you don't get with a lot of fiction. A lot of stuff is just very granular. Like you get what the story is pertaining to, and the stuff outside of that doesn't matter. Whereas yeah. in this book, it really feels like it does matter. Yeah, like you only have to know about a king if you are in the land of that king in, yeah. in normal things. Yeah, and uh, and it just it felt big and important and like you were, you know, looking through a, a peephole into something with a lot more on the other side. A peephole? What's a peephole? A peephole, you know, those poles you pee on? <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that. My other word was maybe it was going to be jargony, because boy, are there a lot of words that get invented in this book. <laughs> yep. I think it was one of the things that made it tough for me to get into it at the beginning. Because it just dumps you right in. And I don't mind stuff that dumps me right in, but it, it starts throwing quitsats, heterats, and uh, gomjabars at you right away. Yeah, that, w- that was one thing that, uh, that I was curious about going into the, uh, the audiobook first and then also the movie was just pronunciation. Because like, yeah. like when I'm looking at the, at the Benny, the Benny Gesserit, like I think originally I said like Bean Gesserit. I think that's how I read it. <laughs> it's just as logical. Yeah, but it's like, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. George, for you, was there anything, I mean, you've read these books so many times, did, is there anything in the, in the movie you were like, wait, hold on, they pronounced it like what? Um, I mean, there were a few things. I, in my head, I was saying Bene Gesserit, not Gesserit. Um, you know, so there were a few things like that. Uh, when I read the book the first time, I thought it was Freeman, not Fremen. Yeah. Um, I thought Freeman... I thought that would have just been, you know, they're free. Like, they didn't want to be. Yeah, yeah, totally yeah. They're, they're, anymore. They they're not escaped, a part of the you know? Imperium. So I was like, oh, that's just the name they gave themselves. That's okay. The slaves escaped. That's their free men now. I think I would have done that, too. You know, a few things like that. I had Chaney instead of Chani. Hmm. But I guess uh, yeah. that could go either way. Yeah, so, but... But the pronunciation doesn't matter that much. It's, I mean, it's not like it says antediluvian every other paragraph. Cyclopean sandworms. <laughs> <laughs> but they didn't even have one eye. <laughs> I think if I if I read Chani's name, I probably would have read it as Chani and had a weird flashback to an ex-girlfriend. Ugh. I wouldn't be able to get over that. And then I'd just see her as the character. <laughs> Man, Paul's relationship with Chani is very interesting because he starts with like the dreams of her. Yeah. And then meets her and then basically tells her pretty quick, like, hey, I was dreaming about you. And then there's a fucking drug induced orgy (laughs) where she, uh, she's like, oh, I can now see what you're seeing and we've got a baby and holy shit, like, this is blowing my mind. And then they, that's, that's just what happens. It's like huge difference. Then their baby gets killed and he marries someone else, but she's still there. Yikes. Yeah. Weird Royal relationships, man. These guys. (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, thank you folks for joining us uh, today, tonight, this morning, this afternoon, whenever you're listening to this. And thank you, George, for joining us and, uh, really fleshing this out in a way that I don't think Ben and I could have done on our own. Like this was really valuable to have here and it was a lot of fun. Um, Why don't you tell our listeners just exactly what you do? You know, your, give us, uh, give us your info and your, your show and your uh, 
likes and dislikes. Social I don't security know. number, <laughs> yeah. your address, Birthday, mother's name, right. all that. <laughs> Favorite childhood pet. <laughs> well, uh, let me start by saying thank you guys very much for having me on. Yeah. Uh, I really appreciate the invite. It was it was a lot of fun. I'm I'm just George. My uh, my favorite childhood pet was a hamster named Beetlejuice. Good name. Speaking he of fell sandworms, off the counter and died. So you know, fuck him. He's a ghost now. Um, <laughs> I I uh, I co-host or just show up for a podcast called uh, The Movie Seller. Um, we talk about movies. Really, my brother and I just shit on each other for a long time, and then we mention a movie that we watched. We try to focus on VHS tapes because they're cheap, and he's got a shit ton of them. Yeah, and Dan's obsessed. Dan is obsessed. <laughs> he's yeah, got a basement full of them. It's okay because I don't have to buy them. He does. We do a charity thing for the JDRF for type 1 diabetes. So check out our, our socials and learn more about that. You can see us. Uh, at the movie seller on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And our podcast is available like all the places that you could get a podcast. I mean, if you're listening to this fucking podcast, you know how to find a fucking podcast. So, you know, you'll see <laughs> us. And, and if you want to make, I think it's only 20 bucks donation to the JDRF. If you want to make George watch Dune 1984 again. Yeah. Well, if you donate 20 <laughs> bucks, you get to pick the movie we watch. If you donate 50, you get to be on the episode. There's a whole tier list of things that you could get. We might even bow down to you and call you a god. Yeah, yeah and and if uh, if you if you want to make Dan the uh, the other host of the show really happy, he's a big fan of Superman. So oh, yes. pick one of those movies. Loves it. He loves the Superman. He loves the South, and uh, he really likes uptight Baptists. That's like his favorite. <laughs> He had a Superman rant on the last episode. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. I gave him what for on Twitter a little bit. Okay, I got to check it out. Good. Good. Just fuck Dan, right? Like, Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the unofficial motto of the show. <laughs> yeah. Right? Love him, but fuck him. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, we, we, uh, we're brothers. We shit on each other. We watch movies. And, uh, and there you go. That's, that's what we do. There's a lot less, like, knowledge and quality than uh than this show this show really like brings a level of professionalism that we have never tried for and would never try for because that would be sisyphean you know like <laughs> we, don't, we don't need that in our lives geek explorations got that covered Woo! <laughs> well then folks if you uh if you want to hit us up uh, about anything you can uh, shoot us a line at email at geeksplorationpodcast.com. You can find us on the social medias, Facebook Geek Exploration Podcast page, Instagram Geek Exploration Podcast, or Twitter at Geek Explore Pod. You could call us at 916-ORC-TURD. That is 916-O-R-C-T-U-R-D. Tell us uh, how you feel about Dune. Did we get something wrong about it? Uh, even yes. just our opinions? Um, or, you know, if you, uh, are curious what you should have for dinner tonight, I will gladly throw out some options for you. Just, uh, give us a call, leave a voicemail, um, and we will, uh, make that happen. I had a meatball parm sandwich. It was, sounds so fucking good. It was tasty. That, that is solid. And if you enjoyed today's show, uh, go on to Podchaser or maybe Apple Podcasts and give us a, uh, five shy halut review. Our, uh, we've got swag at shop.geeksplorationpodcast.com. We're part of the uh, Geekly Grind podcast network. And uh, 
Space Oddities, number two, Kickstarter, coming uh, November 4. So uh, get ready to hear us say that a lot. Yeah, I mean, yeah, as of when this drops, really it'll be like tomorrow. Oh, shit, yeah. No, it'll be no, in it, two it, days. Yeah, it'll be very soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can go on to Kickstarter right now and uh, sign yourself up for um, for notifications. Get on the list. Um, there will be an early bird special, um, and if you have not read number one, you can get it through the uh, through the Kickstarter campaign or drive through comics or Comicsology. Is Comicsology still around, or did they cl- close up uh, shop? They're, they're in the process of rolling into Amazon or something. I don't Gross! Know. Fuck off! Um, if we, you we, haven't read the first episode yet, it's okay. Everyone makes mistakes, mm-hmm. but there's time to fix that. Yep. It's not 600 pages like Dune. You can pick it up and enjoy it. <laughs> it's true. It's, it's a nice, beefy 40-page comic. Yeah, it's it's one good turd. Yeah. <laughs> um, Discord. Did you just... Discord. Oh, okay, I, thought, I thought you said asshole. asshole. Like, what is that supposed to mean? Um, <laughs> Don't forget to mention our asshole. <laughs> oh, yeah, we've got a uh, we've got a Discord as well. Uh, link is in the show notes. Uh, go join up there. It, Look. Yeah, we gotta we gotta pay, play some Back for Blood one of these days. Yeah, once the Kickstarter's launched, and I have time to yes. do anything but that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, our boy. our our buddy Joey wa- wants to play, and I felt bad having to having to say no after we already hyped it up. Like, oh, we're gonna fucking play this fucking game. It's like, oh man, I have no fucking time. Yeah, that was back when I could still family. procrastinate for a little bit. That, is, that time <laughs> yeah. is gone. Yeah. I don't know what that game is. I have no idea what you're what? talking about. What? Oh, it's good. It's, it's basically Left 4 Dead 3. It's the it's the spiritual sequel. Did you ever uh, play the Left 4 Dead games? Uh, no. Oh, no, I did not. Fucking brilliant. I know what they are, but I did not play them. Oh, I, man. I got my boys into playing Magic the Gathering, so we've been doing a lot of that. Nice. Nope. Not acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking nerd shit. This is exploration. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. And our theme song, as always, is Cruising for Goblins by Kevin McLeod. I mean, Competech.com. That's a great song. It makes me want to play video games. It's got a great energy. And remember, the mystery of life isn't a problem to solve, but a reality to experience. 